When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocking Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. Down goes South Carolina. Columbia best, Columbia West. The Mayor's Trophy resides in Missouri for fourth straight year. This is your Tigers are seven one. BK, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I told you last week, Nate, I don't respect that team. I don't respect that coach. I don't respect that program because they've done nothing to earn our respect in recent years. The only time they beat Mizzou recently is when Mizzou was down. Uh, South Carolina, not a real football program. And they didn't look like a real football team yesterday. That was quite the ass whipping at the hands of the Missouri Tigers. I mean... Part of me thought you were being more of a, more of a character when you were saying that. And so, uh, you know, you see him on the field and you go, oh, God. Um, given their injuries, I'm less uh, questioning the seriousness of the team or the program. Shane Beamer, Beamer is an unserious coach who I, I don't know what his thought process was through this entire thing, but it kind of seemed like he was just wanting it over with and specifically driving to inside Missouri's 10 in the second half when you're down by 18 and kicking a field goal to make, take it from a three score game to a two score game. When you've basically been able to do nothing unless you got the ball on the opponent's 33. I don't know what, how this man is making $6 million. I don't know how 11 other gentlemen who answered to him couldn't get in his ear and go, Hey boss, man, let's uh maybe go for seven here. It just, Mizzou came out firing. I don't understand that, but like, I understand South Carolina was wounded, walking wounded, but this was an unserious performance from a, a coach who's quickly turning into the crybaby of the SEC. It's unbelievable, man. And like I, I have been critical of Spencer Rattler for mo- much of his college career because he got so overly hyped that it became like it's less about him and more about the idea of him, right? I, I no longer want to be critical of Spencer Rattler because he's like the only thing that South Carolina does well as a football team right now. The offensive line is terrible. Most of the receiving core is terrible. And in this game specifically, like their entire game plan got thrown out the, the window when Leggett went out with the injury. They have nothing else, man. They have nothing else going for them. We knew this defense was bad. The there There's just... There's really not a whole lot to write home about if you're a South Carolina fan right now. Like they've got Texas A&M next week. They're going to lose that game. They'll beat Vandy, but they'll beat really? Jacksonville State. I think so. Yeah, but that might be it, man. This might be a four win team this year. And if you win four games at a place like South Carolina, like you're probably going to get fired if they can find a way to be able to scrounge together the money to do it. And that's where things get a little difficult. But like, Man, you look around the SEC right now, there's a few programs that are going through it. And this is what happens when you hire the wrong guy. When you hire the wrong guy, you see your program heading in the wrong direction and you just watch it happen thinking to yourself, oh my God, 
now we have to do this all again. And then you wait mm-hmm. another three or four years to find out if it's the right guy or not. Look at Arkansas. They're going through the exact same thing right now. The exact same. Yeah. yeah. And in case you hadn't heard, Arkansas fired their offensive coordinator this morning, Dan Enos, who was a terrible offensive coordinator. He had one good offense, 2014 Arkansas, uh, with Brett Bielema, Sam Pittman as offensive line coach. Uh, was it Alex? Uh, wasn't Alex Jones. I know that They're, they had two running backs who were excellent. Collins, Alex Collins, Alex Collins. That's what it is. RIP. Uh, they had two excellent running backs an, an amazing offensive line. I think most of those guys at least had a cup of coffee in the NFL, a defense that was dynamite. That was Dan Enos's only good offense ever since then. Bama and Miami just dog. dog. Was that the skipper offensive line? Wasn't he the was. like six, Dan eight skipper. dude that played yep. tackle? Yeah. Yep. That was the one. Um, and then since then, you know, he, he bailed on Bama. He did nothing at Miami. He is just, he is a terrible. If you're hiring Dan Enos as an offensive coordinator, you have an issue. Uh, and I know Sam Pittman was BFF with him, but yeah, that's not good. Anyway, we are, you know, uh, five minutes into a Mizzou postgame uh, wrap-up show, and we're talking about South Carolina and Arkansas, but oh boy, they stink. Um, I do think Vanderbilt beats South Carolina, by the way. Wow. That's my hot take. I think Vanderbilt's got more to play for and it's a better team, but you know, what, what do I know about the Commodores? Um, Missouri won. They're seven and one. They put a thumping on the aforementioned Gamecocks. It was twenty four three at halftime. Um, I mean, what stat do you want to pick out, BK? That was the most telling because if you go down the stat sheet, especially from the first half, it's all Mizzou is good and South Carolina is bad. I mean, it's everything, right? Like they they just completely crushed them in every possible way. I think my favorite um statistic though is the rushing yards stat (laughs) where missouri had 156 rushing yards at halftime and they had negative eight uh that that's the one that to me is just like chef's kiss keep in mind sacks are counted in that but it is very yeah hey that makes it all the better all the better um missouri just came out and like there's been a couple of games this year where missouri comes out and it's just over just just over The, the first quarter first half that's all you needed to see and this was one of those games where they did enough in that first quarter to be able to say or the first half rather to be able to say like this is not a game in the second half it doesn't matter what happens south carolina can't move the ball mizzou if they need to can get the yards that they need and this game is just done right here yeah and i mean i think as much as this game was about cody traders awesome offensive line is awesome holy cow that first half was awesome Holy cow, South Carolina is the opposite of awesome. Like, there, there's a lot of things that go into it. One of the big stories, I feel like, especially at the end of the game, was the second half. Uh, some people called it a collapse. Some people called it a snooze fest. Some people thought, you know, oh, Missouri forgot to play football. Everyone definitely said Eli took, off, took his foot off the gas. And for whether that was on purpose or accidental, I don't know. Uh, so I, I, again, father of two, did not watch the game live. But I have the internet and I have a recording device, so I got to watch it at night. So I went into this game knowing that that was the commentary. And watching it uh, with that information in the back of my mind, I had a completely different uh, analysis of the second half, which I will share with you now. I think Eli Drinkwitz knew that, number one, he could win this game without his A-plus or even B-plus effort. And so he sat a bunch of dudes. And then once they're up 24 to three, I think he realized, oh, we don't have to do anything here to win this game and just called the dogs off. And the reason I say that is a couple of reasons. Number one, there were no downfield passing attempts in the second half. Number two, 
they started playing almost all of their backups on defense. And they just went, all right, you know what? We can do this. We can shut it out. Maybe they score a couple points here and there, but we're going to be okay. And when it got to 24-12, in fairness to Drinkwitz, he turned the car back on and went 10 points, shut it out. So that was my take at the end of it. And BK, I know you had a quick instant reaction. Now, of course, we got a day. So what were your thoughts on the second half? So I've had a little bit of time to think about it. So I have changed my opinion on it a little bit, Um, but I'll give you my instant reaction. My instant reaction was, man, this is becoming a theme. Like we have seen this now where Missouri gets out to a really good start and then they just kind of lapse in the second half. The Tigers overall this year have outscored their opponents by one point in the second half. That's not great, man. That's that's not an ideal situation. But I do think it's indicative of how Eli Drinkwitz coaches. And I think that what you just said there is true. Now, this was not probably the game to make the point that I made in my takeaways because I don't think it necessarily applied here. I do think that my overall point, I still believe, I think that Eli Drinkwitz takes the ball, the air out of the ball too quickly. I think he is too willing and too quick to say okay we've got this taken care of let's take the air out of the ball let's get into grind it out mode now i don't like that in a team i think that there is a benefit to being able to put your foot on the throat of the opposition and just put them put an end to them missouri doesn't really do that very often that being said i don't think that was necessarily something that mattered in this game because of the context of when it's being played they're going into their bye week they're getting ready to take on Georgia on the road in what is going to be the biggest game for Missouri football in a decade. Like, full stop. No doubt about it. This is the biggest Missouri football game in a decade. Mm-hmm. And when you have all of that as the context to what we just witnessed, my opinion now is they took care of business. They knew exactly what they needed to do in this game. And this was a very, like, the way that Alabama treats games like this is do what you need to do, get the job done, and get out of there. Get out of there with a win. Because they don't do it for style points. They know at the end of the year, if they've got a zero in the loss column, they're going to the college football playoff, and that is the goal. The goal is not to beat South Carolina by 50. The goal is to be able to go to the college football playoff and then beat whoever you play there by 50 points. Missouri's goal this year, after beating Kentucky and beating Kansas State and being at 7-1 and one through the first eight games of the season, has changed. Missouri's goal now is, hey, man, if you beat Georgia, everything is on the table. SEC East on the table, going to Atlanta on the table, going to something bigger than Atlanta on the table. If you take care of business in two weeks. So Mm -hmm. the job here was to take care of business. So that game matters. And they did that. They got out of there without significant injury. As far as we're aware, I know burden. We'll talk about that probably eventually, but um, it, it seems like they were able to escape without any sort of serious injuries for their team. And they did enough to win by three scores. Like, yeah. that's a hell of a win, man. Back-to-back yeah. weeks against Power 5 competition, winning by three scores is nothing to scoff at. So yeah. I have a much different opinion of it today, now that we've had 24 hours to think on it, than I did after drinking four beers while watching the football game <sighs> and then putting my takeaways onto Rock M Nation. You know, yeah, right right drunk, edit sober, right? That's that's, right. that's, that's the rule. Um, Yeah, I, I saw... Excuse me. I saw some people talk about LSU, which, yeah, I mean, we're all looking for patterns here. And taking a look at a loss would make a lot of sense when you're thinking that you're going to lose. That that was not the case, y'all. If you if you thought that Eli took his foot off the gas against LSU, 
go back and watch that game. There were downfield passes. They were trying to get Burden into action. He was getting covered up by Harold Perkins. Cody Schrader ripped off some huge runs. Brady Cook was running. He was scrambling for his life. He could not run, and he was trying to do it. They were trying to move the ball, and they moved the ball. It's just, you know, you took a ill-timed uh, 25-yard loss at one point when you're going in a, you're, when you're in the middle of a shootout, and you had a couple of drives that uh, fell because of drops and incompletes. Like, LSU is not the case study here. It is South in Dakota. Down, in the fourth down. There, I, I will, I will point the, the fourth down. <clears throat> South Dakota is the one to look at. Middle Tennessee is the one to look at. And when did those happen? They happened in the first two games of the year, right before you go against, at the time, the biggest game of the year at Kansas State, when you knew you had lost and you didn't want to show your hand. To your point, this is to Georgia, because that's the one that matters the most. So this is, this is fine. This is fine to me. And I'm not meaning that in some kind of sarcastic, you know, ironic kind of, you know, the dog is sitting in the house on fire. I'm like, this is fine. If you if you can beat a power five program, a peer program in the SEC by three touchdowns and not do anything to do it, not to really stress yourself to do it, that is indicative of the quality of this team. And Eli Drinkwitz has seemingly had this quiet confidence about this team since the summer. They have all had this confidence around themselves the entire year. Like, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. That, yeah, you can just show enough to beat down a team that is injured and stinks. And that's exactly what they did. So I am not concerned. Sounds like BK is no longer concerned. We we can, we're good here. Yeah, it, it no longer matters to me. Um, it We have now, we're 24 hours removed from Missouri beating South Carolina by three scores. Like that, that is now the way that I view the football game and, that's it's good by me. I, I don't I don't mind uh, winning that game 34 to 12 whatsoever. Have you looked at the new SP plus rankings? No, but I saw you tweeted about it. So uh, the the spoiler for Mizzou is up and, and out there and it's fantastic. So for those curious, Mizzou is now at number 16 in the latest AP poll. I believe they're in the same spot in the coaches poll. Yep, um, 16 on both. Yep. A reminder, these polls don't really matter, but it's fun nonetheless. Being in the top 16 of the country in terms of the, the national perspective of what how good your team is, that's good. It doesn't hurt, you know? It's, it's also the last week without a college football playoff yeah. poll. And FYI. again, those also do not matter during the regular season, but they're fun. Until the end. Yeah. They're fun. And it, it gives you an idea of kind of how your team is viewed at this point. It's a snapshot of where your team is at right now at this point in the season. SP plus doesn't look at it the same way, right? SP plus is a very cut and dried. How did you play on a per play basis? It's not looking just, I know people get mad about this stuff, but it's not just looking at the wins and losses. A three loss team can be better than a one-loss team. For example, in these rankings, Texas A&M is actually slightly ahead of Missouri. Texas A&M has three losses on the year. They are four and three. Missouri is seven and one. There will probably be some Mizzou fans that hear that and say to themselves, that's horse crap. They are not better than Mizzou. That's fine. That is your, your that is your perspective. This is a basically an algorithm. So don't yell at the algorithm. Yell at the fact that uh, it doesn't see your, your team as being quite as good. They can prove it on the field. We'll get there. Missouri is 18th in this ranking. And what I found most interesting, Nate, is not just that the overall ranking was 18th. Instead, what I found particularly interesting is that they are ranked 18th right now offensively and 22nd now on defense. They are now a top 25 program offensively and defensively. Now that is something that very few teams can say. Out of the entire country, 
the only teams I can say that they are a top 25 offense and defense and SP plus rankings are as follows. Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, Washington, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Florida State, Tennessee, Miami, strangely enough, and Missouri. That's 12. That is basically a who's who of college football playoff potential nominations and mm-hmm. Mizzou and Miami. Like, that's <laughs> basically the list that I just read you. Yeah. So for them to be in that range, it shows you like, hey, man, this team is is really good. If you didn't believe it before, if you were skeptical before because you were waiting for them to get mazooed or you thought, <laughs> hey, at some point they're going to show us once again who they really are, whatever the case, right? I think now is officially the time to jump on the bandwagon. If you were waiting for something, this is the time. Because now, if things allow yourself to be hurt, because if things go well against Georgia, if you have allowed yourself to get hurt beforehand, man, it is going to feel so good. And if things go poorly, then at least you felt something. (laughs) And that's really what we're all here for. Oh, God. Yeah. So not only is that hard to do just on a national scale, you can imagine that Missouri teams don't frequently find themselves in a position where their offense and defense are like this. And to, to that point, that is true. There's not many Mizzou outfits who have seen, uh, you know, units that are top 25 on both. Uh, but it has happened twice and you are not going to believe the ones, the two teams that fall into that category. Cause I went back and I looked cause you and I talked this afternoon about it. And I had, to, I had to double check the 2008 team, which is in the SP plus era, the best Missouri team, uh, 24 points better than the average college football team in 2008. Okay. That was at least sixth best offense and the 49th best defense does not qualify. 2007, the one that got Mizzou on the map, the one that got chase Daniel in the Heisman race does not qualify. Fourth best offense, 51st best defense. You know which team does qualify for this? BK, this is rhetorical. Don't say anything. The 2018 Barry Odom season, where they were 20.8 points better than the average college football team in 2018. That was the 12th best in SP+. Their offense was 8th. Their defense was 25th. Now, you may look at that and say, oh, well, this proves that everything you just talked about is a bunch of baloney because Barry Odom was awful. I view this as Barry Odom actually put out a pretty decent team in 2018. And the fact that he couldn't keep that going in 2019 is mostly indicative of his why he is not no longer here. I would also uh, add this. It's indicative of in-game decision-making and coaching matters. It does. But he lost two one-score games against South Carolina and Kentucky in part because of his own decisions within those games. And also because a monsoon took place uh, in the middle of the game against South Carolina. <laughs> he had an NFL caliber quarterback and he put together a great team and he got an eight and five out of it. So like now let me redeem this for you because there were two teams. I said that at the beginning, there were two teams. 2018 was the most recent. The one before that, and I think you all are going to have a little bit more belief in the system after I say this, was the 2010 Missouri football fighting Tigers under Gary Pinkle with Blaine Gabbard as the quarterback. That team was 19.3 points better than the average football team. So that was 18th in the nation at the time. They had the 21st best offense in the country and the 19th best defense. It's probably a good comp for this one, actually. Really? A killer defense? Yeah. And an opportunistic offense? I would 100% agree. Yes. Hey, what did they do that year? They, I, I vaguely remember. They, they oh, did something you know, that was like remembered. It was important. 
the only went kind 10 of a and moment three and beat the hell out of Oklahoma for the first time ah, in ah, ever. It was. Yeah. Ever. Maybe not ever, but you know. I it, so uh, badly wish this Georgia game was at home, man. Dude. And I so badly ah. wish Georgia had just beaten the, the crap out of us last year. Cause not only are yeah. they at home, but they're like, Oh, we know these guys are feisty. By the way, it says a lot about this game and where this team is that we are 19 minutes into this game. And like, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, and this is a good thing. I didn't really learn a whole lot about Missouri in that game. No, that, that game, every, everything that I learned about Missouri in that game was basically confirmation of what we saw from them against Kentucky. It, it, It told me the first quarter against Kentucky was the outlier and the rest of that game against Kentucky was real. That is what I learned this week against South Carolina, specifically with, you know, the first half of what happened there, because at that point the game was over, like you mentioned. Um, Their last seven quarters of football have been as impressive as I've seen from Mizzou since 2018. Like that, that is as well as we have seen this team play in a really, really long time. So that's, that's why we're not like breaking down play by play of what took place. I I do want to say this though, since we're, we're here. Luther Burden's amazing, dude. That touchdown catch is one of the best plays that I've seen him make in a season that is full of just spectacular plays. I mean, that was almost Ron's shoulder, right? And he twisted his way around. And as he was getting pulled down, like caught the ball, caught the ball, fell into the end zone somehow. I just, I don't know. I don't know how, like going from sun into shadow. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't know how a human being does that, but he he figured it out. It was incredible. The other guy I want to give kudos to. Cody Schrader? Two two pieces. Yes, Cody Schrader for sure. He deserves a ton of credit. My God, man. Playing hurt basically the last two, three weeks. Um, Putting together that kind of a performance, just carrying the load whenever they need him to. It's it's amazing. It really is. Maybe more importantly, though, because we knew Cody Schrader could do this. And this this has now been a year plus of us like discounting him, discounting him, discounting him, and finally admitting like, okay, yeah, he's the best guy. <laughs> Just give him the ball all the time. This offensive line is starting to show something, man. And that is huge considering they're doing so the week before you're going to have to play against one of the best defensive units that you'll go up against ever um, with the Georgia team that you're going to be going up against next. The offensive line really looked good against South Carolina. Now, this is not a like great defense or anything like that, but their ability to kind of move around on in, in, with the running game specifically, Kentucky and South Carolina, it, it makes me feel a little better going forward about what this team can be, what the ceiling of the team can be, because that means that you can, you can close games out yeah. with that kind of offensive line and that kind of running game. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's two different levels of impressive because what they did against Kentucky was like, you know, spitting into the wind, like that, that Kentucky defensive front just does not give up rushing yards. And so the fact that Cody Schrader was able to do anything, yeah. Um, and consistently do it. Like I, like I said, it wasn't working 0% success rate in the third quarter, but just smash, 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 just keep doing it. That was impressive. Against South Carolina front. That was awful. Uh, yeah. By the way, he went for 159 yards, you know, like 
He's like the, what the third leading rusher in the SEC right now. Second leading rusher. Uh, I think he's number one in the nation, dude. It, it, rushing wise. Yes. Really? Yes. I think I think it was SEC Mike tweeted it out. Oh no 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 no. no. Then no. who's the leader? Um, some kid from Troy, Taj Brooks from he's ninth right now in the country. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. That's. I mean, you, listen. <laughs> that's only disappointing relative to being number one. It's an amazing feat. Um, maybe over the last two years, he's number one. I would think maybe. that that might be the case. I know from like, I know active career, he's also third to like a bunch of like D two guys, which isn't you know, that that's fine too. But like, he's great, and I I will admit I still I he's still, number one in the SEC now. I still count him out every once in a while. I'm just like, really? Really? But he is the guy. Yeah. He is he is turned into what, Larry Roundtree? Is that the best comparison we have? You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day. You know who he kind of reminds me of? And people are probably going to take this as a shot against Cody Schrader, and it's it's really not. Um, mm. It's actually Ishwitter. Because I always assumed Ishwitter was not going to be good. Like, even when he was good. I assumed he wasn't going to be good. Sure. But Ishwitter in 2016 ran for 750 yards on 162 carries. That's 4.6 yards per carry. That was when he was in a committee oh. with Demaria Crockett. Those two were oh. one and two. He actually ended up that season having more carries than Demaria Crockett. And I remember always saying, like, just give his carries to Demaria. Demaria's better. Yeah. And then the next year, he was in a committee with Larry Roundtree, and he mm -hmm. rushed for 1,000 yards on a – pretty mediocre Mizzou football team in 2017 had a 5.6 yards per carry average. So I think he's Ishwitter if Ishwitter just got all of the carries on a team that was a little better than the teams that he played for. I, I think that's my closest comparison. Maybe you could make an argument for Russell Hansbrough. That would probably be the other comp that I would make. I think style-wise, he falls more into a Larry Roundtree, Russell Hansbrough. But from, from a respect standpoint, from a perception standpoint, yeah. I'm with you on Ishwitter. Because, yeah, I was like, oh, what's what's the Florida kid doing? And he just kept going out there and grinding. Yeah. So, And they loved know. him because he was always going to do the exact thing that they wanted him to be mm -hmm. to do. Like, he was going to be in the right place at the right time for pass protection. He was always going to hit the right hole. He was getting mm -hmm. north and south. He didn't get negative plays. Like, that's what he was out there for. And why do team, why do the coaches love Cody Schrader? For all of those things. All of the things that Nate Pete, no disrespect to Nate Pete, but all the things he doesn't do well, that's mm -hmm. what Cody Schrader does really well. Nate Pete's going to hit one that's going to go 55 yards, and then the next seven are going to go for one or negative three. Mostly negative three, yes. And, and for Cody Schrader, like everything's getting you three yards, everything. And then he's going to have a few over the course of the game that get you like 10, 12, 10, 12, 20, 10, 12, 5, 5, 7, 6. It's just everything is positive. And that's how you end up being the leading rusher in the SEC on a team that is like a pretty good running team, but I wouldn't prior to the last, prior to this week really have been considered them like a great running team by any stretch. Yeah. I The broadcast is like, oh, we might see Jamal Roberts today. No, no. Just he almost Schrader. got on the field once. Almost. almost. He, they sent him out there, and then he came right back to the sideline. They were like, oh, no, 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 this is third and three. <laughs> Get Cody back out there. I mean, Cody Schrader got 26. Brady Cook got nine, not counting sacks. Luther Burden ran it three times. Luke Bauer technically ran it once, but no one else did. 
No one else did. And that's this just... was a very this was the opposite of what it has been in the last few weeks, where it was a very consolidated target oh tree and a very yeah. consolidated these are the people. I think Nate, I think this goes back to your point though, of like they wanted the guys to get the ball that they could trust. Mm-hmm. Hey, don't screw this up. We've yep. got a good thing going here. Get out of here and let's go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you only saw Marquise Johnson in special teams. You know, you didn't see, I, I mean, I know Josh Manning and Daniel blood were out there at, at some point, but like they weren't, they weren't getting targets. That was just running, happen. run blocking. That's just, all just get out there and you know, whatever. Like that's all it was. That's all it was. Um, and that I'm fine with that. Cause that's, that was, that was your plan and, and it worked. So yeah, the offense consolidated, the defense expanded. I got to see Philip Rocher, got to see Marvin Burks, got to see, oh, oh we saw, finally saw Marquise Gracio for three plays. Hallelujah, the man's alive. He is large. Oh, oh, I, I got to give credit to somebody. Huh. Somebody stepped up in this game defensively. How about you, Joe Moore? How about yeah. you? How about you coming through with a big time play when they really, really needed it? Yeah, How about you, Jaden Jernigan? coming out there and playing really well and making a massive, I think it was a third down stop like midway through that game. How about you? The defensive line woke up. Tristan Newsom, who I heard Eli was talking about all off season. The guy. How about you going out there and playing a big time game for Missouri after Tyron Hopper apparently came down, kind of hobbled in that game. I think it was one of those where it was like, Hey, we're up. He's a little hobbled. Like, let's get him out of there. No reason to push it. Um, some guys that you're going to need down the stretch came up with some big time plays. So credit to them for that. So what, where are we on the injury list? We know Brady cook is just going to be forever injured. We know yeah. Cody Schrader's forever injured. We know mm-hmm. Nathaniel Pete is banged up. We know Luther Burden. Is he giving us the okie doke? Is he doing, is this being dramatic or is this like legitimately hurt? So, I think the shoulder thing was real. He seemed I, in pain. I think, do you remember watching Jeremy Macklin? Yes. Or every time he went down, it's like, is he going to get up? Oh, yeah. Chase Daniel did the same thing. They would do the five points on the ground. You're like, oh, God, is he actually hurt? I don't know. And then after a while, Mizzou fans are like, oh, not. It was like, you'd, you'd go to a, you'd, you'd be watching the game with your buddy and they'd be like, oh, is he hurt? You'd be like, no, no, he'll come. <laughs> He's fine. It's just, it's just something that he does. Like when you yeah. go out to a bar and you've got a buddy that, like, you always know he's going to rally, but it's going to hit a point at the middle of the night where it's like, ah, this could take a turn and the guys that have never gone out with him before are like, yo, is Brad going to be okay? You're like, oh, he'll be fine, man. He's going to go to the bathroom in like seven minutes. He's going to come back out here seven minutes after that. And he'll be fine for the rest of the night, but you got to give it like the next 15 minutes are going to be touch and go with him. Puke. I think rally. I think that's Luther. I I think Luther is the guy that just, you got to give him a sec. Mm -hmm. He'll get up. He's going to be fine, but he's going to miss the next play. He'll be fine after that. So Luther is touch and go. Mm-hmm. I think the rest of the receiving core is fine. Seemingly, seemingly Brett Norfleet, which is the one tight end who's been getting the most reps, it seems to be fine. The offensive line, knock all the wood, is in one piece. But then you've got, you know, Johnny Walker kind of gets on and off again, injured with yeah. the knee. Um, linebackers, Tyron Hopper, Chad Bailey, obviously in and out of the game as we went Rake on. Rake Straw is i guess he's the closer corner i guess uh just coming off whatever but like they didn't want to push him so that's fine sure um that's a lot of guys they're like they're not out they're not hurt but like they're not 100 percent. so you know when, I, when we talked about this schedule 
and I know I've already said this, but everybody shows someone's first. This schedule was perfect in my mind because you had the slow ramp up, FCS at home, bad G5 at home, big game at home. Your first game away is kind of a neutral site. Then your first full away game is a worst team in the SEC. Like it was the perfect ramp up. The issue was that your buy didn't come until eight weeks into the year. And it was just hold on, mm-hmm. no one get hurt, and then heal up in the off week. And here we are. Everybody needs to heal up in the off week. Other than Brady Cook and Cody Schrader, who are just going to be this way. I I it it it's here. God, I hope everybody's back to normal. I hope we can field the actual starters because this, like you said, this is this is the game for everything as of right now. We need we need all those guys at 100 percent Hopefully they can get there this week. So everything you said is true, also though. It's why this is coming at the exact right time. Like the the fact that they can get this in now is really, really important because of what they were able to accomplish prior to this game. Because now you've got a week of self-scouting, which I think goes kind of overlooked sometimes when it comes to what's important about the bye week is you can kind of go back and look at, okay, what are the tendencies that we're kind of showing here of third and three, this is the play that we go to every time. Uh, Third and seven, this is what we like to do. Defensively, what are we doing on third downs? And are we getting a little bit, um, are we getting predictable in any of these spots? Uh, When we have this personnel package in the game, are we going to the same three to four plays every time where there's a tell, depending on which motion we're going to? Like Those kinds of things, you can get your analysts on that during the bye week and just say, hey, go into a room and don't come out for the next week. And then I want you to tell me everything that we're doing wrong. What are we doing? That is stupid. Let's correct it by the time that I talk to you again on Halloween. Right? So that's the kind of stuff that you can do right now. You can also just tell Luther burden. Don't touch a football for the next week. You can tell Mm -hmm. Cody Schrader stay in the ice bath for the next six days. And you don't take a single hit in that stretch. Brady cook. Hey man, Get yourself right. Like whatever it is that you need to do mentally, physically, emotionally, just go do all of those things. So I, I think it came from that perspective at the exact right time. And man, you can take make some tweaks right now too. You want to put in a fourth and four play? Do that now right. and make sure it works every time against Georgia. You want to spend the next two weeks just looking at, hey, what are the three things that we can do to expose Georgia in the first half? Do that now. All of that is why this kind of came at the right time and i would also add this nate if you're a little pessimistic which is fair about missouri's chances against georgia one of the reason that i find myself optimistic about it is that we've already seen them play against two top 15 teams this year mm-hmm. now it may not have felt that way at the time because they didn't have a top like 10 ranking next to their name but in SP plus rankings, have you seen where Kansas State is right now? Um, I know that last week Kansas State was twelfth, I believe, and LSU was fourth. So K State is fourteenth. Okay. They are tenth offensively, though. Mm-hmm. Georgia is seventh offensively right now, and they play a very similar style of offense. But, yeah. yeah, LSU is tenth in the SP plus rankings right now. Mm-hmm. They are second offensively right now yeah now you may say to yourself okay but missouri hasn't played this kind of a defense not to the degree of georgia but kentucky is 25th in the sp plus rankings they're 16th defensively right now georgia is 7th defensively right now so 
you've gone up against elite offenses. You've gone up against elite defenses. And we've seen that Missouri has mostly done okay against both. Now LSU was tough, obviously, defensively. But otherwise, like you did it, you, you at least held your share. You, you, you made the games competitive at a minimum. This should be a game that is competitive. This should not be a game that like they totally railroad you. I'm I'm so excited, man. I'm so excited. And we got a whole couple of weeks to figure it out. Yeah. I I feel good. I wrote about it at the beginning of this season. Why not now? I was no longer negative Nate this season. I at the time foolishly thought that I was putting all my eggs in this basket and it was gonna blow up in my face and it hasn't yet. And even then, I mean, with a loss of Georgia, you still have things to play for for the rest of the year. But yeah, I, for sure. I'm telling you, man, like, I did not feel confident going into Georgia 2013 for whatever that's worth. And, man, I think I'm not afraid. I think it's going to be a good game. And Missouri has how much shown of that, that is, game. out of curiosity, Nate, the, the not afraid thing, how much of that is what you saw from Mizzou against them last year and how much of it is – um what you've seen from them so far this year. Oh, it's 0% what Mizzou did last year. I thought it is, so. It is everything that I've seen Georgia do this year. And it number one on that list is Mike Bobo. Number two on that list is Carson Beck. I know he's thrown for 2,500 yards or whatever it is now. I don't care. I don't care. That is a cake schedule. They've played nobody. In fact, I think their best win would be Florida if they beat Florida in the cocktail party this week. Is Florida technically better than Kentucky? I guess it depends on how you view those two. I haven't seen the updated SP Plus, but I, I'm assuming that Kentucky's probably better. I don't know you mention it, but I mean, Kentucky, Mizzou could be Kentucky. I mean, we're just, they have not really been tested super hard. And when they have, they've gotten up and, again, smashed them. But, I want to see what happens in the cocktail party. And then we get them off of that. We get two weeks rest. They come off of a emotional rivalry game. I'm not impressed with Mike Bobo. I don't think, you know, Carson Beck is a young quarterback. We've seen what Mizzou and Blake Baker t- can do against young quarterbacks, even talented ones. And he's not super mobile. So we're not going to have this magical Jaden Daniels hop over the entire world <laughs> bull crap and, you know, score a touchdown. I just, I'm not impressed with Georgia. I know they have 74 blue chippers on that side. I know Dom Lovett's over there. I also know Blake uh, uh, Bowers is out. I, I just – that defense is good, but we've played good defensive. So what do you want to do? I just – I don't know. I, I, I'm scared. I'm scared that I am excited and happy and, and, and confident. I'm scared that I'm not scared. Another question for you, Nate. Is this team as good as 2013? This Mizzou squad? Yeah, like how would you compare those two? It's something that I've been thinking a lot about because I think there was a point in time, not that long ago, honestly, where we we compared this to 2014, mm-hmm. where it was like, hey, you know, Missouri's Missouri's pretty good. They're they're good enough to take advantage of of if this is a down division year, and that's what 2014 was. 2014 was Missouri was very uh, opportunistic, let's say. Yes. 2013 Missouri was legitimately good. They were a really good football team. And yes, the SEC East was like down that year, but I think people overstate how down the SEC East was that year. It was fine. It just wasn't great. It wasn't national title contenders in the SEC East. Missouri was a really good football team though. Yeah. How would you compare this team to that team in your mind? 
So the 2013 squad was a lot more reliant on steady, successful plays. You know, they were very efficient is what we would call that. They had explosives, right? We saw a DGB. We saw the Henry Josie run against a and We saw, you know, Colt 45. We know they could go for big Damian plays. against Florida. Yeah, but like that's not – that wasn't their identity. The reason they did well was because James Franklin and Henry Josie and Marcus Murphy were back there and they could – get you three, four, five, you know, Tanklin would just fall forward and get three yards. So like it was, it was efficiency based. That was really good at explosives. This, this squad is explosive based. That's pretty good at efficiency too. When they, when they have, when the offensive line can get some movement on the defensive side, Missouri's defense in 2013 was explosive reliance. They needed Michael Sam. They needed Cody Ely to get those sacks. Right. They needed EJ to get those picks and, you know, havoc, 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 havoc. And the 2014 squad was just a really good defense. So I think, and even then, what was 2013 defense? Was that 40th? Yeah, it was 40th. Yeah. Like it was not, it would give you yards, but then it would blow you up. So I don't know. Maybe this is, this is like, a better defensive version of 2013 and a little lesser version of, or a different version of the 2013 offense, but we still got five games to go. Who knows how it comes out in the wash. I would say 2013 or maybe 2010 is your comp, but 2010 had no explosive offense. So I'm going to, I'm going to go 2013. The schedule was so similar too. like the, if you just put that Georgia game instead of in mid October, like in early November, if you flipped the Georgia and Tennessee game that year, it's mm-hmm. basically the same schedule where you like get to the middle of the season. You're like, all right, Missouri's good. And then you get to the end of the schedule and you're like, oh, okay. Ole Miss, this might be the one that trips him up. Texas A&M, this might be the one that trips him up. And they just, they kept cranking out the wins. And that's what this year has the potential to be is if, if they do the improbable and not the impossible, but the improbable and go down to Georgia and win that game, then people will be talking about, ah, but can they, can you do, can you do it in back-to-back weeks against Tennessee? Good team, good defense, really mm-hmm. solid running game. Can you do it against them too? And then Florida, like sneaky, decent team, pretty pretty good. Can, can you do it there too? It's interesting, man. It's uh, I, I do think this team has the potential to be better than 2013, and I certainly didn't foresee that at the beginning of this year. I thought they could be 2014 Mizzou. I didn't think they had any chance to be in 2013. It's a lot of fun that they can. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm looking at the schedules and comparing them. Watch Arkansas like win all of their games now that they fired Danny Nose. That would be oh, no, they're no, that's not happening. They're they done. have no, it's they have over. no skill position talent. That's the problem. Yeah, it's over. If you can't beat Mississippi State this weekend, when Mississippi State had nothing going for them offensively, mm-hmm. like, you're done. You're done. I know Mike Wright have like eight completions on twenty yeah. passes or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's man. not good. That's not good. He was eight for twelve for eighty-five yards. And on the ground, they ran the ball 36 times for 120 yards, and they won the game 7-3. to three. My God. Yeah. It was that's a terrible. A, that's game. a 2015 Missouri score is what that is. It was, yeah. it was a ter- They were 1-for-10 on third down. Oh, buddy. I can't believe K.J. Jefferson came back for this. I know he was not going to start in the NFL. I cannot believe he came back for this stuff. That is nuts. That's not what you want. Uh, all right. Well, Missouri beat South Carolina. Did it handily. Didn't even need to show up in the second half, but they did because they're nice to us. Everything is on the table, including some potential awesome recruiting news on Wednesday. We'll get to you on that later. 
Uh, but this season is, is slated to be magical and we got, we got a week to catch our breath to enjoy football without the constant stressor of, is my team going to win or lose for whatever that's worth? Um, so yeah, BK final thoughts before we get the heck out of here. Great week of Mizzou football. Another great week coming up. First of all, you can't lose. Second of all, you're going to win on the recruiting front. We'll get to that later on in the week. We'll certainly react to what we're expecting to be a very, very, very good day for Missouri football. So we'll get to that later on in the week. And there's a good slate of college football games that we can kind of preview a little bit later on this week as well. Looking forward to it, man. Me too. And that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for ISO and the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks.